We continue our series on ordinary. So this is a passage that some of you know. You've probably heard it a thousand times, and it's probably something maybe for some of you the first time you heard it was in something like Vacation Bible School. So I pray that you will have an open heart and open mind to maybe learn something, even from a story that you've maybe heard a thousand times. We'll be looking at the story of David and Goliath. Many of y'all have heard of that story. Okay, nobody. So this will be new to you guys? Awesome. So if you brought your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel, it's right before 2 Samuel. All right. Turn with me. It's not going to be up on the screen today. I did this intentionally to trick some of you. So if you don't bring your Bibles, there will be a Bible there in front of you. Okay? 1 Samuel chapter 17. The story kind of goes like this. There was this young man. He was about the age of 13 or 14, and he was out caring for his father's flock. Now, this is common back then. It's even still common today. A few years ago, I was able to take a trip to China, and we were looking for a people group up along the China-Mongolian border, and there were actually young boys. They were 13 or 14, and they were shepherd boys. They had their father's land. They were given a certain amount of the of the sheep and a certain portion of the of the land, and they were to care for those sheep and on that portion of the land. And so they were caring for them. And so very common for a young man in the Middle East, whenever they come of age, that they are given some sheep and they're given a part, piece of the land and they are to care for it. So here David has been given this responsibility. And he's a young man. He's out shepherding. So that means that he has to take care of his sheep. So he would have to have the tools of being a shepherd. And so the tools of being a shepherd are pretty simple, but they're very unique and very important. One of them you've seen is a staff that they've got the staff and it's a crook and it kind of comes over. And the very reason that they use that is that whenever the sheep come in at night, they would take the sheep and they'll, as they come into the pen, they'll put their feet like this and the sheep will come through and they'll stop them and they'll use that staff to kind of grab them by the neck underneath here. And it's actually one of comfort for the sheep because they know whenever that staff comes up underneath their neck that the shepherd has got them and they're doing an examination of them. And so the shepherd will take and they'll hold him by the staff and they're looking through and they're looking for anything, any hurts, any injuries, any pests or whatever that might be hidden within the wool of the sheep. And so that's a, a point of comfort for them that although it may be a little bit uncomfortable in the moment that they know that the shepherd is taking care of them. Then they have the staff. They also have a rod and the rod was a small stick that they would whittle and they would fix it and make it the perfect weight, the perfect for their hands. Kind of like a baseball player has pine tar and they do all the different things to get the perfect grip for their bat. A shepherd would do the same thing with their, their stick, with their rod. So they get to the perfect weight. So when they were to take it, whenever they would call out to the sheep and there would be moments where the sheep wouldn't listen. They wouldn't hear the voice of the shepherd. And so the shepherd would take his staff and he would rod and he would throw it. Whenever he would throw that rod, they were so accurate with it, they could hit the sheep and knock them and they would know, hey, this is a point of discipline. This is a point where it's unsafe. And so the sheep would turn and they would look and they would listen and hear the voice. And so you can see in that for us that God the Father is a great shepherd. And there's moments when he calls us in and he calls us in close and it may be a little bit uncomfortable where you kind of feel like, oh, this examination has happened. But he's literally looking in to the sheep and he's checking for underneath the stuff that we pretend to make ourselves look good. He's looking underneath and seeing where there's potential opportunities for healing, where there's hurts, where no one else may see it. And then those those chances where we're walking along and we may be walking along and looking for grass and we're so intent on finding grass, we're not hearing 
the shepherd's voice, and so he has to throw the staff and hit us so we can get our attention because we're not listening to him. Because one of the things that was interesting to me whenever I was on this trip is this shepherd boy, he, could, he had certain calls, and the sheep would do certain things based upon the calls, but there were moments where the sheep weren't listening, and so he would pick up a rock, and he would be able to just chunk that rock, and it would get their attention and draw them back to his voice. So David the shepherd boy would be someone like this. And then also in David's day, they would have become very accurate with a slingshot. Now, it's not the slingshots that we got today that you can go down to Walmart or Academy or something. You got the handle and you can pull back out and break your mom's car window. I've heard of that happening, not at my house, but I've heard of it. And so, I mean, you can get some pretty good speed going on those things. Back in those days, they had a little leather pouch or even hemp that they would put together and it would create a little pouch and they would pick up rocks. And so David, as a young boy, he would have been practicing. His dad and his brothers would have had him out there taking him with a slingshot, like, hey, son, you need to get good at this. And so the Israeli Defense Department has studied this, and they have seen, they have actually qualified the fact that at 200 yards, someone who's really good at, with a slingshot, at 200 yards, they could hit one of us while we're moving, and it would hurt. As a matter of fact, the Romans actually had tongs for that purpose, that they would remove the slingshot stones that people would throw in. They wouldn't kill somebody, but it would hurt you. I know, that's kind of painful, right? We're, hey, tonight, what are you doing? I'm getting rocks out of, my, out of myself because they were able to throw it. That's how accurate they were. From 40 yards away, they could hit a bird in mid-flight and kill it. So extremely accurate. So here's David. He's got all these tools and resources. Someone he apparently had killed a bear and killed a lion with this slingshot. So it's moving, humming really fast. So here's this shy, timid shepherd boy that you've been thinking about. But now think about, here's this young man who's out on his own, who has to care for himself, and here's the tools and resources that he has. And so his father comes to him and he says, Hey, son, your brothers are on the front line. The Philistines have come to town. And so the Philistines are a, a seafaring people. They were predominantly they were hard-charging folks, and so they had already kind of, they'd moved from Crete, that was their main station, where that's where the Philistines had come from, and they'd moved in to the area a little bit where King Saul and the Israelites were at, and so they were wanting to move in a little bit closer, and so if they had won this battle, they would have split King Saul's kingdom in half, and so that's why King Saul had called all the men from Israel, and he saw all the fighting men, and said, listen, we've got to fight these Philistines, we've allowed them a foothold, and now if they move a little bit further, they're going to divide the kingdom in half, and before you know it, we won't have an Israel anymore. And so this is a, a pretty serious point. And so they're, again, they're on either side of a hill on a ridge, and they're looking down. And so as you know a little bit from the story, every single day this guy called Goliath would come out, and he would stand in the middle of the valley, Valley of Elah, and he would come out and he would say, Hey, all you Israelites, which one of you is man enough to come fight me? For 40 days, he was doing this. Now, why would he do that for 40 days? Because in those days, a lot of times, they would do a thing called single combat. And it was the idea of, we're going to put up our strongest, biggest, baddest warrior against your strongest, biggest, baddest warrior. We don't want to wipe out our entire nation. We don't want to wipe out our entire men. So we just, our two biggest, baddest dudes are going to fight it out. So for 40 days, the Philistines had sent out Goliath, and the estimates are he was at least six foot nine. okay? So back in those days, that's a pretty good-sized dude. All right, so here's this large guy, fully dressed in his warrior infantry garb. So he would have had a bronze helmet, and the only thing that would have been not covered by the bronze helmet would have been about a four-inch square of his forehead. 
comes over his ears and he's fully garbed with his bronze material that he's wearing and one of the things even over the shield and stuff that he would wear here, the breastplate, they would wear another even piece called a tunic and it would be like the scales that you would see that um, the knights would wear, that all those little chinked armor and he would have that over and that armor, just that piece was well over 100 pounds. So it would come from his shoulders, he would kind of wear it like a long dress and it would come down to mid shin. So he's got this heavy garb, he's got a shield on, he's got his breastplate, he's got the stuff around here, he's even got uh, bronze places for his shin guard. He'd look like a soccer player. He'd have shin guards here and he'd cover over his feet all the way down. And so his entire body is covered with bronze. So six foot nine, let's just say he's at least 270, right? He's had Taco Shack once or twice and he's enjoying food. So he's a good sized guy with all this heavy equipment. And for some reason, un, unusual for infantrymen, he had a, another shield bearer that would come out with him and kind of stand out there as well. Now, usually an infantryman didn't have anyone else. It was just him. But for some reason, he had a shield bearer out there, and that shield bearer was usually for the archers. So here you can imagine this big old guy comes out, and he's got a shield bearer out there in Goliath, six foot nine, six ten huge guy in this big barreling voice saying, any of you that are man enough, come out. You imagine every day after breakfast, hey guys, it's time for us to go out and see what Goliath is going to say. What are the Philistines going to do? For 40 days, they would go out. All of the fighting men of Israel would come down the hill. The fighting men from Philistines would come out. And here Goliath would walk out, continue out with his, his shield bearer. And he would stand in the middle and say, men, it's today the day. And all the men of Israel would turn and run. So about the 40th day, this young shepherd boy shows up. He's bringing pizzas. Is that VeggieTales said, right? He's bringing pizzas. He's bringing food to his brothers. He's bringing food to the people in line. And he's serving them again. This is part of his call. And so he's left his sheep. He's left his, his call for that moment. And he's coming forward. And he happens to just be there. Just coincidence that he's there in that moment whenever Goliath comes out and makes a stance and says, I am Goliath and I will fight whoever is man enough. And David, man, he's, he's a teenage boy. And he's looking around at all these guys that he's admired and he's thought, man, my brothers are here and these other guys and they're big and they're strong and they're bad. And they literally cower away in fear and walk away. And he's like, what are you guys doing? Who, who is that guy? That he thinks he can stand up against us and call the shots? No way. He doesn't know our God. How can we, as the people of Jehovah, as the people of Yahweh, how can we let that guy, I don't care how big he is. How can he call the shots against us? He's ordinary. We're not. We're the people of Jehovah. We're the people of Yahweh. So his brothers are like, shut up. You're just a teenager. Which would be natural, wouldn't it? You're just a teenager. You don't know. Go, go away. It's like, no. And so he begins to, to kind of just get more amped up. And I imagine he could get a team ready to go for the battle. He's like, look, they just, they're not bigger than us. We're faster. And so he's kind of going. All of a sudden it gets back to King Saul. Now King Saul was someone who when he walked into the room, they thought of him as king. That's why he was chosen as king. The people of Israel chose him as king because when he walked in, they were claiming, hey, we need a king. We need someone that looks like a king, that's strong and big, and he's good looking. And every, whenever he walks into the room, people go, I want to follow that guy. 
Because he's going to take care of me. He's going to protect me. So he should have potentially been the one that was most like Goliath in size and physical stamina to be the one to go against Goliath. But he's cowered in his tent, drinking wine, eating pizza, wondering which one of his men. He's literally offering bounties for his men to go fight. So he hears about this David guy that's going up and down the line saying, I'll fight him, I'll take him. So he calls him in. Can you imagine? You're King Saul, your entire nation, your heritage, your destiny. You're thinking, man, I finally got a guy. He's going to come in. He's going to be a big, strong buck of a guy. I've just never seen him. And here he comes. He walks in, and he's like, huh, huh, nice to meet you, David. You're going to lose. You're going to get slaughtered. You're going to get killed. He says, but we'll take our chances. All right? What a great leader. We'll take our chances. Well, at least we got somebody. We've been here 40 days. Somebody. At least you're somebody. At least let's put a mirror. Yeah, you're breathing. Let's try it. And so here he is. David gets in, and they begin to put King Saul's clothing on him, the same stuff. So he'd put on the breastplate. He'd put on the shields for his shins and his feet, and began to put on the tunic, and he began to to move around. You can imagine, they say the estimates are King Saul was 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and so David would have been a young teenage boy at this time, 12 or 13, so imagine at best, okay, the average height was 5'3", at the day, so at best he's 5'3", okay, so at least a foot difference, and he's trying to walk in this guy's armor, and just how silly and ridiculous it would look. Go fight, okay, come on, Goliath! I mean, you know, like the stuff, literally the mask would fall over his face. Goliath, come out! And he would just look ridiculous. So he goes, you know what? I'm going to fight the way that I know how to fight. See, Saul and all the Israelites, whenever they saw Goliath, they saw this big, massive, strong man, and they're thinking, hey, we've got to fight on his terms. He's the one that's called the shots, so we've got to fight on his terms. And David, in that moment, Realize, listen, I'm a shepherd boy. What do I do good? What am I good at? What are the skills and talents and gifts that God's given me? Listen, I've, I've, got, a shepherd, I've got a shepherd stick. Okay, I've got my staff here. I've got my rod. And dadgummit, I have got a slingshot. And I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. I've killed some rabbits. I, I'm pretty good at aiming at this. I'm going to change the name of the game. And so Goliath, his giant, is out there thinking the battle is going to be single combat, man-to-man, sword-to-sword, shield-to-shield, and they're going to be going after it. And David has changed the name of the game. Let's see, the things that the world may see as powerful may actually be their very weakness. And so Goliath was this big, strong guy, and he was built for hand-to-hand close combat, but he's going to be slow. And But when he hits you, you're going to feel it. If you get past one one of his little blows from his sword or shield, it's gonna, you're going to be knocked down and he's going to be ready to take you out. So David's like, listen, I don't want to get anywhere near this guy and I've got the tools and resources to do it. How many of you have giants in your life that you're fighting on the giant's turn? That they're strong and they're powerful and when you look at it, you're like, there's no way I can defeat it. And what God is saying to you is like, listen, do not look at the giant with your own eyes, but look at the giant with my eyes. 
Yes, that giant is strong and powerful, but at the same time, it has weaknesses. It's slow. It doesn't move fast. And it's got some opportunities. And even as we begin to understand who Goliath is and maybe some of the physical ailments of Goliath, is Goliath didn't have good eyesight. So as David moves in for the battle, he can't even see what's happening because he's making wrong statements about David. As David even moves closer, he can't see that the battle has changed. That David's not coming to fight him hand to hand, but David has changed and he's going to use the tools and resources and gifts that God's given him. And he's going to be gone before he even knows it. Listen, some of you have some giants in your life that you've been fighting for years and decades. And you've been fighting them on your own terms and understanding of what it is and you can't see it through God's eyes because you haven't asked. You've been so focused on the giant. You've been so focused on him coming out going, look at me, come fight me. And you're like, listen, I can't measure up. Listen, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. All those guys in line that they were they were they had fought before, they'd done battle before, but they looked at this one particular giant and said, We can't beat him. And God's saying, No, you cannot. But that's the point. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of a relationship with God. Listen, all of us in this room, we have stuff that we're fighting, but we're fighting it in the wrong way. So here Goliath is. He's out there and he's like, Who's gonna fight me today? And David had shed the stuff that the world had told him, that the king had told him, that the leaders had told him that he needed to wear to fight the battle. And he's like, listen, I'm going to fight this on my own terms. And he literally, he runs out and he grabs five smooth stones. And he picks them up and he puts them in his bag and he comes down to the valley. And Goliath is there and he's seeing him. He's got his arm, his shield bearer there. And the reason that they even believed that he had a shield bearer was because his eyes were so bad that his shield bearer was the one that was telling him, where the battle was going to happen because he couldn't see what he was fighting until it literally got right in front of his face. And so the weaknesses of Goliath were also the things that made him strong, that he was crying out, come close to me. And see, they saw that as, hey, we're going to get taken out. He's like, listen, literally, I cannot see you. Get as close to me as you possibly can. And David's like, "Uh uh-uh. Dude, I'm quick and nimble. And I maybe seem crazy, but here's what I'm going to do. And so he's running. He's got the slingshot. He's whoosh, whoosh. They say on average it takes about five times around. About five times they can get over 100 yards. Whoosh, whoosh. Wow. And he lets it go. In that moment, it takes less than a second. At 40 yards, one of those stones can go 40 yards in less than a second. In that moment, when that stone is let go, Goliath realized. The battle had changed, but it was too late. The moment that he realized that the battle had changed and he was about to lose was the moment that that stone hit that four-inch gap of vulnerability. The only place that David could have hit him was right here. And again, they've shown over and over and over again at that speed, that, that rock would have gone through and sunk in, and if not killed him, would have knocked him out, and he would have been out cold. And David walked up and took his own sword, chopped off his head, and held it up. The little shepherd boy that everyone laughed at looked at the giant and said, I see opportunity, not defeat.
I see opportunity, not defeat. An ordinary shepherd boy. Now you can imagine now all the Israelites got got really courageous and they charged after the Philistines and they wiped him out. And after that, David's walking back into camp and King Saul's like, who is that kid? Who is that kid? What, who is he? What's he about? So David walks in and King Saul says, hey, son, who are you? Still holding the head of Goliath. What would you imagine a 14, 15-year-old boy would say? I'm David, dude. Who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? I am David. I am bad. Look at here. You know what he said? I'm David. Son of Jesse. I'm an ordinary dude who saw an opportunity to slay the giant. We are ordinary people that are sons and daughters of the Father. And He's calling us to do something extraordinary in a moment. One moment. And He's already given you the tools and the resources and the gifts to accomplish it. But for some reason, we've continued to see the giant differently in our own eyes than in His eyes. And so my prayer for you, is that you've got a giant and you, you know the giant. And it's sitting before you. And you've continued to see it in your own eyesight. And you think, in my own power, I cannot accomplish that. No, you can't. You can't. But begin to look at the opportunity. How is that giant? What is the weakness of the giant? How am I going to take it out? What is the tools and resources that God has given me to bring victory so that I can say, I'm Chris, son of the Father, just an ordinary guy who was asked to kill a giant. Let's pray together. Father, we got ordinary people all around this room. But you're calling us to extraordinary stuff. We got giants in our land. I pray today if if this is the first time that they see that giant with your eyes. Not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity. an opportunity to give victory and not even proclaim victory for ourselves, but to proclaim victory for you. David could have easily said, it's about me. But he didn't. The ordinary shepherd boy was surprised that no one else would step up to the call. Others had more gifts. Others had been doing it longer. Others had all the quote-unquote correct tools of war but stood on the sidelines. Father, I pray that those in this room that are 
at that place of saying, hey, listen, God's calling me to, to do something extraordinary that they would step up. And begin to say, God, how have you resourced me? How have you gifted me? How have you made me unique for this moment? May I see that what everyone else is calling an obstacle, an opportunity. And charge with confidence in you and the gifts that you've given us so that we may have victory in our life. And it may set victory free in our families. It may bring victory to our to our home, to our own personal life, to our small group, to our workplace, to generations. May we charge with the confidence of the gifts and talents and resources you've given us. For we are ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.